In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Get ready, it's time for Motherhood Talk Radio, live on toginet.com. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Motherhood Talk Radio features the powerful voices of Christy Hawley, Robin Boyd, Linda Franklin, Doris Rivas Brecky, Danny Kiernan, Susan Haid, Lisa Detries, and Susan Sladek Wilson. Together, these women bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how you can be sexy in your 40s. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Christy Holly and Robin Boyd today, and we are going to have a very, very great show. Doris Rivas Brecky is also joining us, and today is our breast cancer show. We're actually going to talk about different types of cancers. We're going to welcome Carol St. Jean of Hookset, New Hampshire. Carol is a three-time breast cancer survivor, and she is the utmost example of hope personified. And uh, Robin and Christy, I'm so excited to do this show with you guys because, um, you know, my mother passed away in September is of breast cancer. And Robin, you are also a cancer survivor. And, mm-hmm. you know, the more we can bring hope, the better off we are able to, you know, manage and handle these cancer diseases that seem to be coming up again and again. And we're going to bring hope to people today. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a real uplifting show we've got today. It is, especially because we've got, you know, by the grace of God, we've got cancer survivors here. And, you know, as much as my mother did finally die from breast cancer, she fought valiantly for five years. Her type of cancer was one that wiped out most of the people in her control group in the first year. She went on to be one of the longest surviving uh, women in her control group at Roswell um, Roswell Cancer Institute in New York, and I really believe that was a combination of faith, family, friends, and just her refusal to give up. Absolutely. What an incredible woman she was, and, and um, it's just a testament to how much our mind is a part of our survival, not just what they give us and how they treat us, but that um, ever-powerful mind is, is certainly part of our survival. Now, Robin, how was that with your, with your uh, tangle with cancer? How, how important was your mental state and how hard was it to uh, keep the faith and keep pushing forward? And also, what tools did you use to advance um, your own hope and to keep going and become a survivor? 
Wow, that's a loaded question, Sandra. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, every Just once in a while you get the dark. with like this huge question. I had uh, a different kind of cancer. Mine was Hodgkin's, which was uh, it's, is a lymphoma. It is a very unusual type of lymphoma for a woman then in I was in my 40s then it's very unusual for a a woman that's usually a a disease that affects young men uh, 18 to 25 is the more typical time for Hodgkin's to hit so you always have to be unique and different don't you Robin (laughs) in everything you do even your cancer you have to be creative and it actually was difficult for them to type because I went through um, biopsy after biopsy after biopsy. And, of course, they start with the least invasive and they progress and progress and progress. And they finally um, were able to determine that it was, in fact, Hodgkin's. And it's funny. I, I think it was the fourth biopsy that I went through. And <laughs> I'm laying on this table after they had stuck this tube down in me. And I, I'm, I'm in the recovery area. And the doctor came kind of dancing in. He says, I'm so excited you have Hodgkin's. <laughs> and I'm like, really? That's exciting? This is cancer. What are you talking about? But it was a more treatable cancer. And the hope um, of surviving was a lot more other than what they were assuming that it may have been. And this was what was important because the biopsy apparently needs to have a certain number of the the affected cells in that close, tiny capture that they get in order to determine it. And if there's not enough of the type of cell in there, they can't say, okay, it's blah, blah, blah. So this was their challenge was that they were trying, they kept trying to uh, take the biopsy and be able to see enough of the, of the cells to, to say, yes, it is this, or yes, it is that. And, you know, I have to say, and I'm, I'm, this was my point of view, but the, the hardest part of the whole journey was that time when the x-ray revealed a mass and the day that they determined what that mass was, because that angst, that uncertainty, that not knowing, it, that was horrific. Once we knew what it was, and once we said, okay, here we go, what's the treatment plan, get on the horse and let's gallop, that part was fine. It was the unknown that would, that was the hardest. So, yep, chemo and radiation and, and all of that, it was part of the process and it was hard, but it wasn't half as hard as that not knowing and that scare. So, I agree. I agree. I think, you know, with my brother's cancer, my mother's cancer, my father's cancer, uh, my grandma and grandpa, we, have, we obviously have a history of cancer in our family. Um, that time period between the diagnosis and 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 the uh, first, uh, you know, kind of first discovery of what it is is so unbelievably frightening. And not in every cancer case do we have a diagnosis. I know with my older brother, he has, he had what they thought was like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Then they thought he had testicular cancer. You know, ten years later, um, after the this. Uh, finishing of his chemotherapy and his treatments, they still don't have a final diagnosis. He's still in this gray area. And, you know, Robin, with my mom's cancer, uh, it was 
something like you like yours where it was found in in 19 20-year-old women they don't know what it was doing in a 75-year-old female body um mm. but it just shows how much we don't know and that not knowing i think is the most frightening that's right and even in typing it then there are those little malignancies that don't follow the the pattern and maybe it is a different type that just hasn't been uh decisive enough yet to be or d- discerned yet it's just every day there's something new on the horizon on cancer research and um i think that's the biggest mystery is you know there's only a couple of things to deal with in diabetes there's a few things to deal with say multiple sclerosis or something i mean there are divisions of those but somehow cancer seems to have such an an immense extreme variation or amalgamations or whatever we want to call them and having to have such different means of treatment because the cancer drugs that i had were nowhere near the same kinds of cancer drugs that my friend carol that we'll meet shortly had or um even some other people that uh, well prostate or you know it's it's just amazing how completely different each type of cancer is it is it is and you know and the thing is um and is the cancer can also morph and change in reaction to the yeah. treatments as you go you know for my mom's treatment plan it was 5 years until she finally did die but the cancer mutated during that time mm. you know we had mm-hmm. success with certain drugs certain treatments you know only to come fine it has appeared you know i remember when it appeared in her skin and appeared in different organs it was a different variation it had different markers um very very elusive and you know almost like you're chasing you know a ghost that's it and it is hard because some cancers that are metastatic as opposed to recurrent are are completely different to have to battle because um they they're they are morphing into something completely different it's such a challenge but this is why i'm so excited to begin this series with you gals because not only are we going to be highlighting success stories that are going to be inspirational for people who might be beginning this journey but we're hoping to give people resources to empower you through that journey because one of the best things that i did when i was going through it and i know carol will attest to this shortly is that networking with someone else who's been there has to be the biggest comfort and the biggest resource that we we could possibly have had because we share we network how did you handle this what did you do for that what should i ask my doctor did you have this did you have that those are the kinds of things and you cry together and you laugh together my daughter and i went wig shopping for example when we were first when i was first diagnosed that was so fun we went to try on different wigs and of course we tried the most silliest ones on and then we tried the ones that were practical and and we had a day of it and we just made it a special day but um having somebody to share the experience with and being open about what you are going through and saying this is what I can do today this is what I can't do today um well, and I and think, I know Robin, go to a you know, what shortly. you said about making, like, making the best of it or, you know, shopping, you and Emily going wig shopping, mm. 
That's so important. I remember, you know, with my own mom, when her hair first came out and she got her wig, um, uh, my baby was three months old. And so we kept putting the wig on the baby. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it it was a terrible, terrible situation. But to be able to laugh and share the time we have together, you know, with a baby in a blonde wig was just just perfect. Uh, My name is Sandra Beck. I am the host of Motherhood Talk Radio along with my chatty Kathy partners, Christy <laughs> and Doris, who seem to have evaporated during this segment. Uh, but it's all good. When we come back from the break, we're going to bring Carol St. Jean with us, and we're going to put all four of us on here, and we're going to have a great, great talk about cancer. Dreams got my life, got my love, got my friends, got the sunshine above. Why am I making this hard on myself when there's so many? Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host Donna Intercastle and sidekick Nina Fry every Friday afternoon at two one Central on Toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Wow, you know, I just, 
It's one of these days. I got to tell you guys, I'm going to blow these intros and outros for this show because I've had, seriously, I've had two hours sleep, and I'm just going to tell you what's happening in my life before I go over and let Doris uh, talk about her thing. And Rob, you haven't even heard this, and you hear everything about my life. I've been working on this job um, that I got up on Sunday morning to start, and I worked uh, through. Nine o'clock last night, which is, I can't even tell you how many hours, but that was Monday night at nine o'clock. I finally went to sleep at nine o'clock and at 11 o'clock, uh, my, um, my eight year old walked over to me and every mother listening today can, um, <laughs> attest to this fact. Mom, I think I'm gonna, by the time I rolled over in bed to look at him, (laughs) all over my hair, all over my pajamas, (gasps) and then he started to cry. Now, and I'm just waking up, you know, going, oh my God, I just had a puke Uh. shower. Um, uh, it was all over my bed, all over the nightstand, and then we got, I got up, you know, it takes me, you know, I'm not, you know, 20 years old anymore, it takes me a while to get up, get out of bed, you know, drag this 8-year-old who proceeded to vomit from the foot of my bed to the 75 feet to the toilet. That's a long way. It's a long way, and he hit everything in sight. He hit the mirrored glass doors, he hit the ground, some of his stuffed animals took it Aww. for the team, I mean... <laughs> It was just, and then by the time he got to my bathroom, he hit the tub, the flower, the shower, the everything, this kid. It, I thought it was like the exorcist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and by the time he got to the toilet, he's like, Mom, I'm I'm empty. I'm like, I feel better. I feel better. I'm like, of course you do. So wow. it was two and a half hours last night washing the sheets, um, cleaning up the carpet because he hit a lot of, you know, he hit a lot of fabric and, you know, you can't let that sit overnight. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning before I went to bed, and I was up early this morning to do a radio show appearance on a London show, so you're just going to have to put up with whatever comes out of my mouth. Wow. Because <laughs> I oh, think every thing. mother listening today can relate to that story. I Absolutely. can. <laughs> Doritos. Doritos. <laughs> in the car. Oh. Hitting every, every person in the car. <laughs> All five of you? Uh, well, it was my sister and I coming home from San Diego. <laughs> we had Hannah. I was pregnant with Nick, so Hannah was turning four, and Parker was, well, it was earlier than that, but he would be two. And we're driving, my sister and I, and we're like, like, ooh, we smell cheese, and we're looking around going, I don't remember smelling cheese on the way over here. Oh, yeah. And I turn around, yeah. and Hannah was just vomiting like Doritos. It was on Parker. It was on all our new little stuffed animals that we got our little shamus it was everything so i just i do know we do know (laughs) and anybody who's been through chemotherapy knows that you know even though we take what is it new last i forget what the current one is that we take for the anti-nausea or whatever the anti-nausea drug is it's still it's you're still sick from from these drugs now Mm -hmm. and doris you've had some experience with cancer with your husband I did, yes. My husband uh, actually died from it, a rare form, too, kind of like what Rob was talking about. And uh, by the time they found it, it was uh, already stage four, so, you know, it was literally almost over by the time they they found his cancer. So did he go through any treatment? Well, uh, by the time they started discussing it, 
literally three days later before his appointment for his first uh, bout of treatment, he died. Oh, okay. So it just was, it was, I mean, it was just boom, boom, boom. Like I tell people, from the time he was diagnosed to the time he died was less than five weeks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, wow, that's very fast. That's very yeah. fast. Um, I'd like to bring on our guest right now, if that's okay with you girls. Um, we have Carol St. Jean, and she is a three-time breast cancer survivor. So I'm going to I'm going to do a hark back to our military show. And I'm going to go hoo because <laughs> I just think <laughs> that is amazing. Carol, are you with us today? I'm fine. How are you doing? Great, great. And I just, you know, when I see three-time breast cancer survivor, I'm so excited for you to come on the show and share, you know, what is your secret, you know, that you can give to uh, everybody listening today and everybody who has family members suffering from this disease? Well, um, just don't ever give up. Just, you know, look at the silver lining. You know, if God gives you lemons, make lemonade. Um, <laughs> you know, you just have to say, I'm going to beat this. I'm not going to let this get me. And um, keep going on with your life. You know, Carol is one of those people. We I, we know each other through our church, and I have known her for a number of years now. And she will just say, "This is what's going on in my life. I'm doing it. I'm going there." And that would just be everybody would sort of be there there to cheer her on, and we would say, "Go, Carol, go!" Because she would just get right in there and and meet it. You know, Carol, one of the things that I did want to ask you um, is how did you personally know exactly what something was wrong at the very beginning? Did you feel a lump? Did you uh, feel sick? What was your um, what was your condition? Well, at the very beginning, and this sounds odd, um, I had said to my husband about a month before I got diagnosed, if I was ever to have breast cancer, it's going to be in the right right breast. And he said, well, what are you talking about? And I had been having shooting pains in my breast. And then it came time for my annual uh, checkup with my gynecologist, and he sent Mm -hmm. me for my mammogram. And he called me up and wanted to see me in the office, and he said something. The radiologist thinks he sees something. He's not quite sure, um, but if you were my wife, I'd want you to have a biopsy. Oh and wow! Know that it's nothing. Have it have it be sitting in a in a jar on a shelf somewhere, and know it's nothing. But I would want my wife to have a biopsy. So from mm. there, um, they set up a stereotactic biopsy, and even the um, the doctor that did the biopsy, a friend brought me that day to the hospital, and when it was all done, he came out and and told my friend. I am 95% sure this is nothing. Don't tell her that I've said this, but I am 95% sure it's nothing. I see this every day, and and I don't believe it's anything. Well, a week later, I got called back into the office, and it was. It was ductal that had become invasive. And wow. um, nothing really, even my oncologist to this day says he can look at those mammograms 
and really doesn't see anything, but the radiologist just thought something wasn't right. See, and Carol, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is exactly the same thing that happened with my mom and really extended her life. The, you know, the, the doctors said it's nothing to worry about. You can just, you know, we'll just wait and see. And I kept flipping out because I'm like, no, no, it's my mom. We're not going to wait and see. And the radiologist was the one who had the bad feeling. And her, her, um, cancer was like less than three millimeters or two millimeters at that time. So it wasn't showing up clearly in anything, but that radiologist, you know, I credit that radiologist for giving my mom many years that she wouldn't have had if this had gone, you know, further in her, you know, in its, um, in its, you know, kind of ravaging my mom's body, but that these radiologists, man, they look at this stuff every day, and I got chills when you were talking because it's the same thing. It was only until they had the biopsy and confirmed it, but the medical professionals, the high-end ones didn't think there was anything wrong and the little radiologist girl was like no i think there's something there exactly um if it wasn't for that radiologist and then i would have a mammogram in a year i think i would have been in a lot of trouble because it had already become invasive Absolutely. And, and my mom had the shooting pains, too, that we used to call them the mystery pains. Exactly. She would have just these random shooting pains in her breast, and it was the area where the breast cancer was. Exactly. Hmm. And the strange thing is, all three times, I had the same pains. And they tell you you don't have any pain from, you know, when breast cancer starts, but you got to listen to your own body right. and um, act on what you feel. You know, my mom said the same thing early on um, before all the diagnoses were made. She said to me, Sam, this is bad. I think there's something really wrong with me. And she had, I don't know if you want to call them premonitions. I think you call them listening to your body. She had said to me, you know, a couple of years prior, a year prior, I can't remember now. It's a little foggy. But I, when you tell me these things, you tell us these things on the air, they resonate with me. And I think, God, yeah, my mom would say that, that there's something wrong. She's sick. There's something wrong. But, you know, the doctors were declaring her fine, but she knew. She knew something was up. And there was almost a relief when she was finally diagnosed, if there can be a relief. Exactly. Right. Right. When uh, we've got about two minutes to break, uh, Robin, with your cancer, did you have any indicators? I did not. I felt wonderful. And I, I guess the only thing that I had that brought me to the doctor was um, I had a little cough. I was teaching uh, uh, K through three at the time uh, in our elementary school. So little kids are always sneezing all over you and hacking on you. And I thought, <laughs> oh, gosh, this little cold just doesn't want to go. And the doc that I had at the time said, you know, I haven't. When was the last chest x-ray you had? And I said, chest x-ray? I've never had one. So I went and had the x-ray, and the it, the mass was significant. So they said, hmm, you really need to see somebody, like, immediately. And that was just the scariest thing. So we really um, had to act fast to get into oncology. And we, at the time, went down to Mass General for diagnosis in Boston. So. 
Well, you know, Robin, I want to talk to you more about this uh, as we go to break. My name is Sandra Beck. Mm-hmm. I'm the host of Motherhood Talk Radio, along with Christy Holly and Doris Rivas-Brecky. Our guest today is Carol St. Jean. She's a three-time cancer survivor. And today's show is about bringing hope and raising awareness uh, so that we can battle this deadly disease and we can make the world a better place so we all can live happy, healthy lives. Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. You gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser. You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough, you gotta be stronger. You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together. All I know, all I know, love will save Information is power, the power to change your life. So be here for Education to Excellence. Some of the most valuable information you may ever receive will be shared with you 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night with Education to Excellence with your host, Bruce Beichman. You'll benefit from insightful shows featuring guests that are proven experts in their field. Little-known facts on how to improve your health by making one very simple change in your morning routine. If you're a high school graduate or working adult and a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degree from an accredited college would change your life, you won't want to miss this. Education to Excellence. Shift your career into high gear without ever attending a traditional college class. Learn investment strategies from proven experts who have a track record of helping normal individuals build abnormal wealth. Check out their website, education2excellence.com. Then join us for the show, Education to Excellence, with your host, Bruce Beichman. Tuesday nights at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on toginet.com. Parents, if you feel overloaded, overworked, underappreciated, and seriously stressed out, The Parents Plate is here to help you. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. It's time to build stronger families through parent empowerment. And that's what The Parents Plate does. The Parents Plate understands the busyness of life and balancing child rearing and other commitments. Brenda Nixon will be talking to noted experts and authors on all issues from teething to teen driving. Brenda Nixon is a nationally recognized speaker to parents and child care professionals and author of the award-winning The Birth to Five book. From Fox 4 in Kansas City to schools and synagogues to businesses to bookstores, conferences to churches, audiences rave that Brenda engages, educates, and encourages. For more information on Brenda and her books, check out her website, brendanixon.com. The Parents Plate is loaded with information and affirmation. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Listen as your day unfolds. Challenge what the future holds. Try to keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears. Go ahead, release your fears. My Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck, bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. Hey, mamas. This is our uplifting and hopeful cancer show, and we have cancer survivors Robin Boyd and Carol St. Jean. We had a question come in from a listener on the break, and Christy's going to throw it out to us. It has to do with second opinions. So, girls, when, uh, Carol, when you had those, when you had that intuition that you felt like something was wrong, did you seek a second opinion, or what, no, how I did didn't. you... 
the first time I didn't seek a second opinion, um, it was so cut and dry once the biopsy came back. There was no um, chance that it was something else, or they knew what it was. Um, The second time, though, I knew it was back. I had those pains. I called the doctors and told them I thought it was back, and they thought I was crazy, had me come in the office and started looking around and doing ultrasounds, and sure enough, there it was. And I, I, I just knew it was back. I, I don't, but I've never really had a second opinion. You know, I think again, I just wanna, um, I just wanna encourage our listeners today to uh, really listen to their bodies. Um, and this is just a tiny bit off topic, but when I had my son, I had a premature baby at 32 weeks. I kept telling the doctors and nurses there is something wrong, there is something wrong, there is something wrong. And, you know, these nurses kept telling me that I was a first-time mom, I didn't know about giving birth. Well, you're right, I didn't know about giving birth, but I knew there was something seriously wrong, and I did have a serious problem. I was in the hospital for a week after having this baby. I did hemorrhage. I did have go from a... not a normal birth, but a normal premature birth into a critical situation. And I just I just can't emphasize enough. We've got Robin saying it. We've got Carol saying it, and she's a three-time cancer survivor, so I think she's got a really good track record. I'm alive and well, and so is my kid. So there is a big track record on this show for listening to your own intuition and fighting for what you know is going on with your body. You're better off going to the doctor and saying there's something wrong and then finding out there's nothing wrong than not going and and sloughing it off and then finding out there really was something wrong. I well, mean, my rule of thumb is I'd rather look foolish than be dead. Exactly. That's a good rule. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> And I look foolish a lot, and that's okay because I'm still alive. That's great. You know, Sandra, Sandra, Doris here. Anyway, uh, you you know how I'm always watching ABC World News. Okay, now it's time for you to, you know, jab me for it. Anyway, there's a... (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that this week. I'm going to make you fumble around over there. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, there's a, a, a famous doctor that they use all the time, Dr. Besser. On ABC World News, uh, he's like Diane Sawyer's uh, sidekick, and he just did a thing about listening to your body and fighting to see a doctor if they're saying, no, no, you're all right, but you just know in your heart you feel something. And he says, and you fight for that. You fight, and and if that one doctor says no, then you say, I want to see another doctor, and I want to see it now. Exactly. Exactly. You guys want to hear my bloody nose story? Can I just tell that really quick, even though it has nothing to do with cancer? (laughs) Okay. Okay, you guys are game. Uh, The same premature baby that I had had a bleeding disorder uh, from the time he was about a year and a half till he was four years old. And this kid would have nosebleeds every two or three days. And because we live in the high desert, every doctor, every nurse, every neighbor would say, oh, it's just because of where you live. It's just because of where you live. And I... You know, this kid would soak a pillow. He would drain himself so mm. he was white and, and dizzy and disoriented. And I think there's something wrong with this kid. There's something wrong with this kid. For a year and a half, I went to see different doctors 
um, to get my kids some help because I was seriously afraid he was going to bleed to death. And I went into yeah. the doctor's office with my day planner, and every day he had a bleed, I had made a little bee with a circle around it. And I said, this kid is bleeding on average three to four, sometimes five times a week to the point where I have to pack his nose. And we had cauterized it. We had gone to the emergency room, mm-hmm. you know, tons and tons of time. And they labeled me as a new mom and a hysterical mom, the same thing uh-huh. they did in the uh, delivery room. So when I finally got to this one doctor, he walked in and he was so smug to me. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see your charts. Because I literally had made a chart at this point to show them how much bleeding there was. And other than bringing in like a blood-soaked pillowcase, there was nothing I could do to prove to these doctors. And this doctor comes over and he says, well, I'm going to do this. And if your son has a bleeding, real bleeding disorder, we're going to know. And I said, you should put on a lab coat. And he's like, ha, 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 because I'm like, that's a really nice tie-in shirt, and God bless my kid, he shot blood all over that doctor's office. It was on on the table, it was on the walls, this guy was head to toe. But I'll tell you, we had emergency surgery the following morning. They did not rest. And he's like, this kid has a problem. And I felt like, you think? You think? (laughs) You know, I got pulled over by the police speeding to get home so I could care for this kid. And even the policeman who came and put the big flashlight on him goes, oh, my God, what did you do to this kid? But, you know, we have to fight for our health rights because the medical institutions push us through these appointments so fast. And since cancer affects everyone, it doesn't matter, race, creed, color, young, old, if you know something is wrong with you or with your kid or with anybody, you need to go in and advocate for yourself. Good point, Sandra. You know, Carol, I want to uh, ask you, we're talking about advocating. Did you know something was wrong the second time? Or were you kind of doubtful and saying, oh, can't come back? I already went through that. No, the second time, that's when I called the doctors and I told them I believed it was back. And that's when they had me go in the office and um, thought I was one of those nutcases. And started looking around. <laughs> Those living nut cases. <laughs> yeah. Because you had a mastectomy the first time, didn't you? No, I had oh. two lumpectomies. Oh. So they had and taken I out had, partials. I had five months of um, uh, chemo, adromycin and cytoxin, and 37 radiation treatments. They were localized radiation? Uh the entire breast, but okay. focusing on that spot, but the entire breast. And um, it came back four years later. Same now, did breast. they take the whole breast at that time when it came back? When it came back, they took the right breast, and we opted to take the left also. Okay, so the double the mastectomy. Yeah, we. I had a double mastectomy. I had reconstruction with saline implants, the whole nine yards. And then it came back two and a half years ago, even though I had had the double mastectomy. And did it come back in your breast tissue, or did it have, did it come back in a different part of your body? Well, no, it came back on the right side again, <gasps> and. I had a new new breast doctor, and she found it on the very first appointment. And um, 
they did a biopsy right then and there. Uh, she called me back in three days and said, there's a problem. It's ductal. And I said, ductal, I had a double mastectomy. She said, that's the problem. <gasps> so what? they did what they called a revised double mastectomy. They had to have had the plastic surgeon come in, take out the implants, and then she went in and found breast tissue on both sides. Um, who did the the person that did my double mastectomy didn't quite do a complete right? They didn't it, take out all the breast tissue exactly. And this oh. time it was ductal that became invasive again and went into my chest wall muscle. Mm. So they and and my oncologist said. Um, you know, that's all they can do. You had an, all the radiation you can, you, that side of your body can take, and so we'll just have to go with this. But I was sent to a um, radiation oncologist, and she said if I was willing to take a chance, she wanted to do more radiation on that side. And I had 27 more radiation treatments on top of the 37 I had had years before. <sighs> Well, that's always amazed me. I remember them telling my mom she had as much radiation, you know, as they could give her, and I'm thinking, how how is that possible? You're, you're you know, she's got a very metastatic form of cancer. She's going to be dead anyway. You know, what is it about this? And I'm so glad that you're you found a radiologist that would would give you that opportunity to make that choice. It was uh, a female. And she said, you know, you want to take a chance. And in between making the decision and having the radiation, I tripped and fell and broke my arm and my shoulder. So we had to, yeah, we had to put, Robin knows it, uh, we had to put everything on hold because to have this radiation, I had to lay on the table. Right. Both hands behind my head holding on to a peg. So I had to get better, and so the radiation was put off. But by then, I had plenty of time to think about it, and I said, let's go for it. Yeah, a girl. It was pretty devastating, the radiation that time. All my skin came off. Uh, I was like a raw piece of meat. Mm -hmm. But miraculously, my skin healed back. It's the most soft. In, they can't believe it. They they thought they would have to graft. But I've been clear now for the past two and a half years, and I said third time was the charm. It has to be. Well, and it's a testament to your perseverance. Uh, we're here today on Motherhood Talk Radio with Robin Boyd, Doris Rebus Brecky, Christy Holly, Carol St. Jean. Today is our cancer show, our hopeful, uplifting cancer show. If you guys would like to listen to other episodes of Motherhood Talk Radio, check us out on iTunes. Check us out on motherhoodtalkradio.com. And you can find helpful information that Robin's going to post about cancer survival on our website. MotherhoodTalkRadio.com Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. I am beautiful no matter what they say
The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Florence Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Flo has seen it, done it, and now can share from her experiences as a newspaper staff reporter, feature writer, freelance editor, and college writing instructor. And now Flo has authored a system whereby her students enjoy a 90% success rate in attaining publication of their manuscripts for the first time. In just four years, she has over 800 of her own articles published in national magazines, newspapers, and anthologies. Author of several books, including the powerful memoir, The Sicilian Nobleman's Daughter, Florence has advised and edited professors, deans, PhDs, and hundreds of students' writings before submission. And now it's your turn. Join us Friday nights with your questions. Most of Flo's students say they've learned much and thoroughly enjoyed the journey. It's The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Flo Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck, bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. Hey, Mamas. This is Sandra Beck, and today is our cancer show. And in the spirit of being uplifting, because we have two cancer survivors on our show today, we could really count you as four, because Carol St. Jean has survived three times and is thriving. So we're going to count you as... And Robin, we're going to count you. We'll give you one. We'll give you one and a half, um, because you're so tiny. You battled it better than anybody, being only, what, four foot... How tall are you? Four foot eight. Four foot eight. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to count Jen, too, because that's, you know. The friend. That is. That's just amazing. Um, what I'd like to talk about in this segment um, is I'd like to talk about some tips on how to get through this since both of you are spectacular survivors. And, you know, there's so many options out there uh, for the cancer patient from, you know, blogging to social groups to online cancer sites to, you know, the different uh, treatments that are made available to the patient at the hospital from group therapy to personal therapy to have, you know, different groups come. I know when hospice came for my mom, they were so lovely with both my mom and dad in providing all this support. Um, what kind of support did you guys lean on? I'm going to go to Robin first and then to Carol. Some of the support that I had was um, talking to other people who had been through it, but I also read. I read, I read, I read, I read. I did get on the internet. I got um, the the place down, the part of the, when I was first diagnosed, I'm stuttering here because I'm, I'm thinking of five things at once. When I first was diagnosed at Mass General, they had a wonderful lending library. And I sat in the library because it was a trip for me to get to Boston. So I would spend a little time while I was there and take advantage of that time. And I read anything I could get my hands on. And one of the books Now, Robin, let me read, stop you here for a second. Anything yeah. you get your hands on, to me, that would be like Cosmo Vogue, <laughs> No, no, no. Can you be a little more definitive in the types of things you were reading? I wanted to know about nutrition. I wanted to know about um, skin care. I wanted to know about keeping up my energy. My kids at the time were in the 
sixth and eighth grade, I believe it was. They they were both in the junior high range. So my kids were at a very high energy age in their lives. Not that a four and a six year old isn't, but uh, as as sixth and eighth grader meant that they needed to be driven here. They needed to be driven there. They right, they're not were contained in, in the living room. <laughs> sports. They were in, they were, we were busy in scouts. I needed to know what I could do to keep up with my kids, to make sure that my kids were aware. In fact, my kids did come with me from time to time to my treatment. I had them each come individually, not both at the same time. But individually, they both came to me for a chemo session. I brought them to Boston when I did my uh, radiation. Each one of them saw me in the machine. Uh, how to? I had a different kind than Carol did. Mine was modulated, and they made a cast of my body that I would lay in and I'm tattooed across the chest so that the pinpoints of the laser would match the, the tattoos and then I would be in perfect alignment. And uh, I whole... think you just wanted a tattoo. Yeah, I know. That was the best. <laughs> my feeble attempt at a tat. <laughs> Robin with a tat. <laughs> <laughs> and my kids got to see that. But that that's what I was reading. And that's what got me through because one of the first books I read was, as I said in the first segment, my point of view, that mental point of view. And then um, having somebody that had been on the other side and looking at them for for help and inspiration. And what did they do when they got nauseous? What did they do when they their skin was irritated? What did they do? Well, and Robin, I think what came across from what you told us just now that was most powerful, and I I see it echoed in my mom, and Carol, I want to ask you about this. The difference, I think, in what I saw in the five years that my mom struggled with cancer and the other cancer patients that I met and talked to during that time, you said a very key phrase, I wanted to know what I could do. You were an active participant in your recovery rather than handing yourself over to the medical community, which obviously you need to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But you took an active role in your cure and uh, honored that part of you that could make a difference. And Carol, did you, did you find similar, did you have a similar experience as Robin? Well, I, at the beginning, uh, the first day I was told I had the cancer was three years to the day of my mother's death. <gasps> she died from breast cancer. But I felt that was my mother there saying, okay, you've got it, you're going to beat it, you know, go for it. But um, also, we were planning, I got diagnosed in December, and we were planning my youngest son's wedding for the beginning of June. And that was my mission, to make it to that wedding. And um, the first time I met my oncologist, I went in with a notebook with all my questions. And like Robin, I read and I read and I read. We didn't have a computer. I couldn't look things up. But I, I, wherever the article was, I read it. But I also told the oncologist, I said, I have somewhere to be in June. I can be in, on a stretcher. I can be in a wheelchair. I just can't be dead. And he looked at me and he said, okay, we'll get you there. But when I went looking for wigs, I met this woman that was diagnosed two weeks after me. And we became friends. 
and to this day, we call each other breast friends, bosom buddies. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to each other constantly, and through our treatment, we were on the phone every single day, keeping each other going. Keeping each other going, that was the best thing. I had someone to talk to. We were going through the same treatment. So if she had a side effect or I had a side effect and it would work, you know, I'd call her and I'd say, Karen, I've got a headache today. And you think I've got a brain tumor. No, I've got the same headache. No, you don't have a brain tumor. I mean, but we would just go back and forth. And and I didn't do too many um, group sessions because I was, planning my son's wedding and that kept me going i had something to look forward to and well I and think- i think absolutely i think that's such an integral part one of the things my mom would tell me is cancer is just one of the patches on the fabric of the quilt that is my life it wasn't her whole life it, you know the treatments mm-hmm. obviously took things over but she had her benchmarks she had the things that she was going to stick around for yeah um, One of the, oh, go ahead, Carol. Go ahead. No, that's all right. Go ahead. What I was going to say is I think one of the, the uh, biggest things that I can share is that you're going to be tired and your, your body is going to need every ounce it can uh, muster to survive. So give into it a little bit and you're going to want to be at like Carol wanted to be at her son's wedding or I had kids that either wanted to go to Girl Scouts or the theater group or whatever. So that meant in the afternoon I laid down. I took the time to uh, take a nap whether I was tired or not. If it meant that the kids needed a ride to and from, you're going to get a ton of people that say, let me know if I can do anything. And you say, okay, I will. What's your phone number? And you keep a chart. And I would say, Mary, could you bring the kids to school on Monday? And Joni, could you bring the kids to school on Thursday? And I would make sure that I had a roster of people that I didn't overload, but I made sure that I took advantage, I guess you could say, and that's not the right word, but I took them up on their offer and I let them do those little things that I didn't have to do so that I was strong enough and ready enough to do the things that I did have to do. Well, and that's so powerful, Robin, because you you allow people then to participate in your wellness plan. Because the hardest thing about being on the outskirts, being the daughter, being the son, being the friend, being the husband or the wife or the neighbor, is that there's that helplessness, what can I do? And when you allow people to help you, you give them an opportunity to ease their own pain in watching you go through your your health program. Yeah, that's right. That's I had right. you know bringing me in lunches. Um, when I was on the chemo, if I had to cook a meal, it was like a pregnant woman smelling it cooking. I would get very ill, but if someone would bring it into me, I could eat. As long as the the odors weren't in the house from it cooking. Um, so I would just leave the door unlocked, and people would come in and. Uh, bring me my lunch and that way I would have my nourishment and and, you know to make me stronger uh because if I cooked it myself I never got to eat it I was just very very ill so I just let people come in they wanted to bring me a meal I just let them do it 
And if you have kids while you're going through this part of this journey, it's, it is important for your kids to still have those meals. And if you're too tired to cook them, that's just the most wonderful gift a friend could do is to bring you that meal. Because even if you're too tired to, to make it or sit up with them, at least you know the kids and the rest of the family are having a good meal. So it's really so important. Well, and I want to bring up, we have about two minutes left in the show, and this might make me a very popular host or a very unpopular host, (laughs) but the most wonderful gift I think people can give you is that when you make the decision, like in my mom's case, she made the decision um, about five weeks before she did die that she had had enough. She wanted to not have any more treatments. She wanted to die with dignity. She wanted us to support her in her decision and basically give her permission to rest, give her permission to die. It was one of the hardest things my sisters and I had ever, um, sorry, I'm going to get a little choked up, had to do. But in our hope of keeping our cancer patients alive, in our striving to beat this disease, we also have to recognize that sometimes the most loving gift that we can do for our family members and our friends who are battling cancer is to give them the permission to rest, give themselves the permission to die, and support them in that process. Because there is a point in everyone's life where they make this choice, and we need to support our family members in that choice. And I've got about 30 seconds. Robin, you want to say anything before I take us out to the end of the show? Just a great big thank you and a big hug to Carol uh, St. Jean from Hooksit, New Hampshire. You are such an inspiration. I love you, Carol. I love you, Robin. And I am so proud to share the airwaves with you girls, you know, with Carol St. Jean, Robin Boyd, Christy Holly, Doris Rebus Brecky. If you are in the midst of a uh, battle with cancer, we're going to send healing energy your way from the airwaves. I want to thank you for listening to the show today. My name is Sandra Beck. I'm the host of Motherhood Talk Radio. You can learn more about Robin and Carol on our website on www.motherhoodtalkradio.com. And God bless all the families out there and the patients that are struggling with cancer. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Motherhood Talk 